Welcome in to another edition of Sportball. I'm your boy, Sam. With me, as always, are my two good friends, Seth and Kyle. Gentlemen, pleasure as always. Greetings, hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Long-time listener. <laughs> Kyle, anything to say to the masses? No, I'm just, uh, you know, sulking in the fact that my Top Shot moments have been tanking the last couple of days with the marketplace being uh, bone dry, so... Speaking of, that's a little teaser for our guest later on, the one and only Matt Rossetti, who our guests, who our listeners might remember as a previous guest on this podcast with the award-winning segment, Idiot Corner. He will now be <laughs> on to talk about NFTs, NBA Top Shots, and the NFTshow.com. Who would have thought that NFTs. In, in a short, what has it been, two years? Has it been two years since he was last on Talking oh. Idiot Corner? where he predicted the Knicks to, I think, make it to the finals when they didn't even make the playoffs. And this year, they might actually make the playoffs. It's crazy to think that in two years, the man has gone from saying the Knicks will make the playoffs to becoming a multimedia mogul. (laughs) I mean, And then spelling LeBron James wrong. LeBron (laughs) Lames, baby. (laughs) All that and more later. But first, uh, I want to make a couple of announcements, actually, before we get into anything for our very many thousands of fans. Uh, Number one, we have a new logo. Very exciting that I'm going to drop by the time this podcast comes out. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Our updated bitmojis are more accurate, I feel. Uh, And it just, you know, I feel like it really gives off the same vibe that we give off, you know. Um, The artist of said logo has wants to remain anonymous. Uh, He said he wants to be the Banksy of podcast logos. So we'll leave him out. (laughs) Um, also we will now be doing every other Friday for our podcast, which in the past we've been doing every other Thursday. So watch out. Don't look for on Thursday. Look for on Friday. Good for your commute home on a Friday when you're feeling good, maybe over the weekend when you're walking the dog, you know? Um, so usually we record on a Tuesday or Wednesday. So just giving the caveat now for all of our podcasts, if we say anything on Tuesday or Wednesday and it's not true by Friday, what Kyle, what do we do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Exactly. So we're recording this on a Tuesday, March the second. I think we should offer to. Uh, I think we should offer to give our listeners their money back if you know we say something that is untrue by Friday. You guys are getting paid for this. <laughs> See, that's why it's funny because we're giving them zero dollars back. So anyway, uh, so we're recording this on March the second. It'll come out this Friday. So sorry if any of these takes age like uh, nearly frozen milk. Shout out to our last episode. Wanted to start off with a little NFL offseason talk. So basically, we are hitting free agency soon. Things are starting to heat up. Already we've seen J.J. Watt leave the Texans and move to the Cardinals. Kyle, your team, the Arizona Cardinals. Soon um, to be the Arizona Texans. Joining his former teammate, DeAndre Hopkins, which is probably a big part of this, right? Because there are a couple, I would say, better primed contenders he could have joined. Kyle, this, does this move the needle for the Cardinals? I mean, they're in a tough division. J.J. Watt, as we know, isn't what he once was, but he's still a very good rusher and run stopper. What do you think, Kyle, this does for the Cardinals? I mean, Eve, you know, as you just said, J.J. Watt's not at his peak as he once was, but he's still one of the best 
defensive players in the NFL. I mean, I don't think there's any denying that. Now, now the uh, Cardinals have, um, I think it's the top two, um, top two players in regular season sacks overall since 2012 on their team. With Chandler Jones and and JJ and JJ, so I mean, that's wow. just it adds another element, uh, another player that really an offensive line needs to keep an eye on, right? Um, but on top of that, just the experience that JJ Watt brings, you know, that's huge for any defense, especially any young defense. So veteran leadership, right? Yeah. My only qualm about this really impacting the Cardinals is they were already a great defense last year, right? They're already top 10 in defense. Uh, that wasn't their problem. The problem was our fake hottie, Cliff Kingsbury, and the offense. So I yeah. think they still need to do a few things on that end. I mean, he's still a real hottie. He's just <laughs> fake. But the uh, horizontal raid is really it. what's what's really uh, – It's the hot horizontal raid. <laughs> it's been brutal. But I have hope. I hold out hope. And they have all the elements, right? I mean, they, they have everything there they need to be successful. I mean, they are in the toughest division in football. Christian Kirk or... was injured for a lot of the yeah. later part of the season, too. And when he wasn't injured and it was him and DeAndre, those – I think there was like a four or five game stretch where like him or DeAndre both either went over 100 yards or each scored a touchdown. And that was that – was, this stretch of the season last year where I was like, that's when I made my bet actually that they were going to go farther than Tampa Bay. And then Christian Kirk got injured. So really it's his fault. Damn that bet. Christian. That bet is going on my gravestone. You're I mean, that's one of the all timers. So <laughs> good. Good. Christian Kirk, a uh, sneaky, ugly, ugly guy in the, in the vein of Chris Middleton. How dare you watch out for that. Um, let's move on to the people that really matter. Okay. The quarterbacks. Namely, number one, Russell Hustle, Bustle Wilson. This is the newer news than his counterpart, Deshaun Watson. Recently said, we know he's unhappy. The he said, bedroom. he said, I'm not asking for a trade, but if I were, <laughs> here are the teams I'd like to go to. And they included. So passive aggressive about it. <laughs> yeah. They included the Saints, the Bears, the Cowboys, and the Raiders. Now, of course, when, when we heard the Bears, Kyle and I, I mean, I personally did a naked lap around my apartment. I don't know what you did, Kyle. Um, that myself. would be, I mean, I Listen, don't know why he'd want to I don't to think we've here. ever had a, a quarterback of, of that caliber ever ask to be on the Bears. <laughs> Even mention us in the sentence. Days after that, too. Days after that announcement, that that piece of news. Today, actually, I think it was. Um Ryan Pace said that uh, he thinks that the the best thing the Bears have going for them right now is the coaching. So, I mean, just well, imagine once we get Russell Wilson, he thinks we have one of the best coaching staffs in the league and Russell Wilson. I, I, have some insight, at, but. I have some insight into why Russell would want to come to Chicago, you know, as a, long-time, as a longtime lover of his myself. Just the commutes that he and I are both doing to and from, from Seattle to Chicago, so we can make sweet, sweet love to each other. It was getting yeah. a bit much. So yeah, that's Sarah, why he wants to come to Chicago. I think she was in Chicago that she loved it. It was one of her favorite cities in the world. Oh, so maybe Sierra's in on Chicago. What I don't understand is why Russell would want to go to Chicago when he has DK and Tyler Lockett there. And we have 
uh, Allen Robinson, who's leaving. So I don't know who he thinks he's going to be throwing to, you know? And also, if he said he likes the coaching, our coach literally wears a visor and is bald. So I don't know what he, <laughs> what he expects from that unless he wants anyone but keep. But at least Carroll. our coach isn't smacking gum inside your ear every fucking minute. So, um, yeah, I think so. It seems like they don't they don't really respect his input on the team as much as he would like. Um, so I think I'm not that's, surprised by that. Yeah, I think that and the fact that how much he gets hit with that line that they have there is really upsetting him. Those are the, maybe the two main factors uh, to why he's unhappy. Do you guys think he gets traded? And if so, realistically, who do you think he goes to? I mean, I think Pete Carroll's going to do all that he can to not trade him, even though I think it's definitely what Russell wants. Like, Pete just sucks. We've known this for years. Here we go. I actually had the outline. Why would you want to play? Do his bi-monthly rant on Pete Carroll. (laughs) You are. He is a top two quarterback in the NFL, but he's not treated as such. And he's not given the permission that quarterbacks of his caliber throughout the years have had in coordinating and having input on an offensive game. And it makes no sense. Why would he want to stay in an organization that's like that and that still refuses to let him throw nearly as much as he should? Like I saw there was a clip someone posted on Twitter just the other day of like Russell Wilson talking to Pete Carroll about uh, a way that they could change a play, you know, to optimize it, do better. And Pete just like basically wrote him off so to say he was like yeah i'll look into it then there's a video of tom brady and bill belichick where tom gives some input and bruce's or or bill belichick is there taking notes asking him different questions what if we do this what if you do that and tom brady's giving that input i feel like russell wilson should have that same type of authority in a room considering the caliber of quarterback he is and he doesn't get it and that was kyle's bi-monthly Pete carroll rant (laughs) this is why you tune into the podcast just to to add in a little bit obviously sam and i have been defenders of pete carroll over the years but i think it admittedly it's it's getting you know harder and harder to maintain that position where i think he has shown in the past with his past success um that he can be a good coach in the nfl and certainly was a good coach when the NFL was, was at a particular point, but it does feel more and more like the NFL is passing him by and he is not flexible enough to adapt to, you know, what the game is, is turning into now. So I think uh, Sam shared Matthew Berry's tweet with, with the three of us um, earlier in the week. And it's like, he was saying that if he were the Seattle owner, he would get rid of everyone before he get rid of Russell Wilson, right? Coach, whatever, general manager, whoever. And yeah, I mean, I don't understand how you could, like there's a very short list of players that you'd want to start your team with <clears throat> that are ahead of Russell Wilson in the NFL. So it feels like 
if you're a smart ownership group, you would, you know, do what you can to keep him. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I kind of think the safe bet is that he won't be traded at least before opening day or the, you know, the start of the season, but yeah, I feel certainly more on the table than it, it was six months ago. Yeah. I feel Look, if you're smart, like you said, you won't trade him. And I think they'll avoid it by trying to cater more to him, you know, draft him all offensive linemen, try to get more of his input on the offense. I think they'll do whatever they can to keep him. And I do agree with that point. This must be the greatest day of Kyle's life. I do agree with that point that in some aspects, the game is starting to pass Pete by and he's just not as innovative as just some of these younger coaches. And that happens, you know, you can it honestly like doesn't even have to do with innovation. It's just like, if you're a coach in the NFL and this is a vast majority of coaches, they have their own idea of a system and that's what they put into place. Whereas when you look at it, the great coaches in the NFL take what they have and build a system around it and change it from year to year. And that's not something that Pete Carroll has ever shown the willingness or ability to do. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I left him speechless. <laughs> All right, let's head to Sean Watson. This is the biggest. This is the one I have more confidence that will happen trade-wise because he has demanded a trade out of uh, Houston. Another athlete to demand a trade out of Houston. They're just dropping like flies. Um, Jack Easterby, former chaplain of the Patriots, has somehow risen to power. Not somehow. I know why, because he's friends with the owners. Um, and... I think Houston's starting to to wish for Bill O'Brien back, dare I say, the lesser of two evils. And, uh, you know, Watson's looking around. JJ's gone. DeAndre's gone. No good players, no good uh, top management. So a couple of things to hit here. Do you guys think he'll get traded? I think we all think yes eventually, right? Do you think he will sit out games to get it done is another question. So the thing is, I'm not sure Houston is smart enough to actually trade him, right? We've seen, I mean, I guess it was Bill O'Brien mostly, but the idiotic things that they have done over the last year or two in terms of, you know, making deals with other teams. I mean, they just let J.J. Watt walk in free agency when you could have definitely sent him last season at some point to another team and recuperated like with some draft compensation, but they didn't do that. So now they're making all kinds of statements saying that Deshaun Watson is not going to be traded. They've been one to keep their word in the past. So the way I see it playing out is they either end up caving which is the very unlikely scenario or two Deshaun Watson actually sits out games they don't know what to do and then sell him for half get rid of him for half of what they easily could have gotten over the offseason <laughs> yeah I, I could definitely see that scenario playing out it's pretty remarkable the the job that Houston has done as an organization to completely implode themselves it's like if you were another team and you like wanted to <clears throat> infiltrate the Texans to tank the organization, <laughs> this would have been your plan for them. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I, I don't think we can expect them to make a good move here. And I mean, I'm not an NFL insider, but just what I've heard, like from other podcasts and from other people is that Deshaun has reached a breaking point where he's really serious about this. It's, he's not bluffing. He's not just kind of being upset openly to make a point or something like that. He's like ready to sit out games and he doesn't want to play another game with the Texans. So I could see it coming to that. Um, it does feel like there's got to be teams just clamoring and saying, you know, four first round picks, like five first round picks, whatever you want, we'll take Deshaun Watson. And so I think at this point, when they've already made so many mistakes as a front office, like you might as well cut bait and start over and, you know, load up on draft picks and future you know, prospects and possibility. So considering they don't have draft picks in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what I would do. And just try to like talk, put, put feelers out there and say, Hey, top five quarterback in the NFL young, give me your best offer and just keep making teams one up each other until you feel like you've got a King's ransom, excuse me. And then go for it. That's, that's what I would do at this point. Yeah, and there's a lot of suitors, like you said. Where do you guys think he's going to go? The Bears can right so many wrongs. I was going to say, one option is the Bears could just say, we will pay six first-round picks because we should have drafted you in the first place. (laughs) Um, I think a a couple other suitors are some serious suitors, the Carolina Panthers, the Miami Dolphins, the Jets – for you two as Bears fans, going back to that real quick, like, is there a price that's too high? No. No. <laughs> there the absolutely biggest, is the not. The biggest move at quarterback that I've witnessed in my lifetime, I guess, as a Bears fan, was the Jay Cutler uh, trade or whatever that was back yeah. in, oh, that was seventh grade. <laughs> he's undeniably the best quarterback in franchise history so i know and that's kind of i mean i love jay smoking jay is the shit obviously but that's sad so yes this would there's no price too high yeah i've said it before and i'll say it again jay cutler is by far the best quarterback we've had in our history of our of our team and that's really sad and i would i would give left nut right nut for deshaun watson or russell wilson Unless the Bears could just trade up somehow in the draft and secure one of those top three guys, which they can't get Trevor Lawrence, obviously. But if they could somehow move up to get a Justin Fields or a Zach Wilson and most likely give up less than what they'd have to give up for Deshaun Watson, I'll do that any day. Let's finish up this segment real quick. I just want to talk, like we said, with these two quarterbacks, Russell and Deshaun. I think we are seeing a changing, a changing of the winds in the NFL where these quarterbacks are starting to realize that they have the same leverage that we see NBA superstars use to request trades in the NBA. Right. And my question is how did it take this long (laughs) and how did this come to be? I mean, I do, you know, there are a few things different than the NFL and the NBA, of course, in the NFL, you want to lock down a long contract because of injuries. 
there's the franchise tag that a franchise can hold over you. That's probably the biggest factor. Um, but what do you guys think about this new, this new era that seems to be happening in the NFL? Yeah. I mean, there, I, I don't know enough about the inner workings of the NFL, but from what I can tell, just the structures that are in place are so much more anti-player than the NBA is. Um, you know, it feels like any kind of decision, like Roger Goodell doesn't really care about the players and they just feel like they're so much more centered around money, you know, doing whatever they can to get the lucrative, you know, TV contracts and all that. And the NBA just feels like it's so much more like, um, just like less oppressive in that way for the players. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of that it's due to <clears throat> activism and, um, you know, credit past NBA players for creating the players union and, you know, collective bargaining and all that. Not that NFL players haven't been doing the same thing, but it's just been tougher to break down those structures, I think. Um, yeah. And it's good to see. I mean, you hate to see someone like Deshaun who's in his prime right now, like I said, top five quarterback in the league and his organization is just malpractice left and right. And they tell him like, okay, we're going to consult you with coaches hire. And then they go back on their word and they don't even let him like, like how hard is it to send someone a zoom link when you're, <laughs> when you're interviewing coaches, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's comically bad how, how the organization has mismanaged this. So I think it's great to see that players like Deshaun are able to control their own destiny in that way a, a bit more. Kyle, I know you love it. Yeah, said so eloquently by Seth. Um, I mean, again, right, we're looking at a league in the NBA which has um, really supported its players and their decisions, I think, a lot more than obviously the NFL has, right? The NFL was fining players and doing all kinds of, you know, forcing them to to stand up during the anthem and stuff just even just a few years ago i mean a player got kicked out of the league essentially for being the first to do it whereas if something like that were to happen in the nba it would have been championed by the other players by the coaching staff by other teams and the league would have supported it so it's like at some point there's got to be a changing of the guard in the nfl to get this old regime the hell up out of here and, and let players have a voice for themselves and do what they please. Speaking of the NBA and its, uh, its influence on the NFL, let's switch over to that league and just kind of go around the NBA real quick here. Well, it is now my pleasure to welcome back probably the most popular guest in sportball podcast history. Top 10 at least. Matt Rosetti. Except for my one doing? tweet that went viral. <laughs> Hello, hello, everyone. This is Matt Rossetti, uh, formerly the sole star in the Idiot Corner. So happy to be back. That's going to be the first sentence on your Wikipedia page when you become <laughs> the, the mogul you're trying to become right now. Um, so Matt is here to talk about NBA Top Shot, NFTs in general, and the NFTshow.com, which is, a, I would say, bursting out of its shell to become one of the most popular NFT destinations. A leader in the space, really. Yes. Always um, strive for. 
And so Seth here is going to kind of pose as our listeners that may know nothing about NFTs or Top Shot or anything. And it's ask, very and easy ask for me. It's easy for me to pose as them because that's pretty much me. Because I am them, right. So we're going to have Seth ask Matt some questions, see if we can glean some information out of this NFT expert. So Seth, just take it away. Anything you want to ask? So first of all, for the listeners, this much I do know. NFT stands for non-fungible token, which is like what Bitcoin is. I don't really understand what Bitcoin is, but it's some kind of currency that doesn't actually exist. Bitcoin is not a non-fungible token. Oh, all right. So Bitcoin I'm is a cryptocurrency. <laughs> so Matt, could you tell us what is a non-fungible token and what is cryptocurrency? Give us sure, the, so, the, the SparkNotes version. Yeah, SparkNotes version. I'm sure there's going to be errors of what I say, and there's going to be people that know a lot more, especially about cryptocurrency. Uh, but cryptocurrency is basically uh, something it's secured in a blockchain and that means that everyone can see what everyone's doing and it's tokens that are generated and people are giving value to those uh, just like a dollar. Um, people are more comfortable with dollars because it's what we use every day, but uh, you can really give monetary value to anything. So right now people are giving a lot of value to um, these things called Bitcoin. And I mean, you can go do your research on what cryptocurrency is. Um, there's a lot of better resources than me for that. For non-fungible tokens, um, it's basically just a collectible or something that lives in the blockchain. So for that, um, again, there's records of it that everyone can read. Um, it belongs to you and only you. And if you want to give it to someone, the next person that gets that will see that you owned it before. And um, it's just something that's stored digitally. Um, it's stored kind of I want to say in the cloud, but that's not right. But that might help some users understand. Um, on the blockchain. It's just, yeah, it's stored on the blockchain. Just something that kind of lives within the internet um, and how everything or with everything else that's moving in it. And Perfect. correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is what's nice about the blockchain is that unlike if I have a, a physical token, like say a sports card, um, the blockchain that runs NFTs allows for no counterfeiting to be done, right? You know, it's the real deal and yeah. it can never be obviously physically harmed like a real life sports card could be, right? Yeah, sure. So also if you think of um, what's like the Madden, what do they do? Like the my team in Madden and FIFA, um, mm -hmm. you collect players in that, but that's not on a blockchain. It's all running all their stuff. Um, so I'm sure EA and whoever makes these things has their security they put behind it, but someone could go in and create one and there isn't really anything validating it. Um, with this kind of anytime anything happens, it's checked across the whole blockchain. So um, yeah. I'll have to plug some other resource that explains everything works, but it's cool. really inherent to yeah. itself. You can't counterfeit it. So I feel yeah, like that's... we're teasing one type of NFT, which is NBA Top Shot, which I know, Seth, you and the listeners are going to be very interested in. So why don't you ask some questions about that specifically? Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> from my understanding, NBA Top Shot is in some ways analogous to traditional NBA cards, sports cards, but they're just digital versions. And you can buy what are called moments, which is like a single play. And then you own that moment. Now you don't own like the rights to the video of that moment. You just own that moment in this blockchain thing. So Matt, tell us, if I'm just someone who likes basketball, maybe I'm a sports card collector in general. Why would I want to buy 
a moment of a play that I could watch for free on YouTube. And it's not even like a tangible thing I could hold in my hand, like a sports card. So I can't really like, you know, hold it up to somebody to show them. I could, I guess, show them my computer screen, but why would I want this if it's, if it's not even tangible and I could watch the play anytime for free. Sure. So I'll try and come at this from a couple of different angles. Um, so one, if you're someone who likes to collect like sports cards, um, there's a lot of stuff. I'm not too familiar with the whole ecosystem, but if you want to like resell one to someone, you got to get it graded. It's got to make sure um, that it's legit, that it isn't a fake one that someone made and they reprint it all um, like the serial number on it with Top Shot because everything's in the blockchain. Um, it's all inherent to it. So it's much easier to sell and prove that it's actually the real thing. Um, so that is some appeal for collectors. One is the, is the other too. So like, right, if you have a sports card, you have a limited edition sports card. There's only 25 of them made. Well, the number two could be worse than number 22 because of the way that the cards are printed. Like if it's off yeah. or something, like Matt mentioned, to send them in to get graded, it's like you have to send in a minimum of 10 cards and that's a minimum of $250 you have to pay just to get something graded. And also the cost of the grading depends on the value that you estimate the card to be. So if you have a card that's like, you know, crazy rare and you expect it to be like a $3,000 card, then you're paying even more dollars to get that graded. Whereas everything in Top Shot, number one is essentially the same as number 25. You don't have to worry about things being off center. Everything's essentially exactly the same, except you just know this was the first one overall that might've been minted or created on the blockchain opposed to the last one that was created. Yeah. Another thing too, for the, like actually having a trading card, can you imagine having like a card that people say is worth like $25,000 and like you have a fire in your house or something? Like it just burns up all that value. Like, I don't know, maybe it's worth more because it's scorched or something, but. It would lose. Right. So, <laughs> so it's, it's worth more. And there's some, like, if that's your hobby is like, having these things of value and trading them around, I could see why that would be fun. But why are these valuable at all? Because people give them value. Uh, kind of is, why is anything valuable? Just um, like Bitcoin, right, man? Yeah. It's because someone is willing to pay for, um, I don't know, someone's willing to pay thousands of dollars for a LeBron moment because they really like it. And I, I think there's a lot of people in Top Shot right now that, um, me included, they want to be a part of it because they think someone else is going to give them even more money than what they paid for something. Um, right. So I think right now there's a huge aspect of people just want them to make money. And at some point that's going to go away. And I think the market's going to come down a lot. Um, yeah. But if you're, you know, if you think about it, if, you know, you, I just watched Illinois absolutely stomp Michigan um, in college basketball today. And I was very happy for that. And I immediately thought, I'd totally go spend $5 or something or $10 to, it wasn't a game winner shot or anything, but some big play just so I could um, have that forever. Um, right. I think for us, like spending five to $10 and something is, is easier to understand than the people that are spending hundreds and hundreds um, and, and thousands and tens of thousands, even on these moments uh, for NBA top shot. I don't quite understand why people are giving some of these that much value. Um, okay. But the, the lower amounts, I totally Essentially, understand the same as like 
a, a Michael Jordan rookie card or like a LeBron James rookie card, like one of the biggest sales that has happened recently. And it wasn't even done through Top Shot. It was the first NFT to be auctioned off at a uh, this auction website, sports auction website. Went for, I think, like 190 something thousand dollars over this past weekend. It was the, the first, the number one um, serial number Zion dunk from last year. So it was minted in his rookie season. It was from his rookie season. It's essentially like the first play that you could possibly own of Zion's on NBA Top Shot. So it's like yeah. value like like that that people are right it yeah and and that's something that's been valuable like stuff like that with with sports cards forever right mm -hmm. and i've never really understood why people would pay thousands of dollars for that either so i guess that all makes sense one thing that has intrigued me a little bit or perplexed me is some of the value that's assigned seems totally arbitrary for instance i was looking at you know okay, they released 50 moments of this LeBron dunk, right? Okay, maybe the first one that's released, I get why that might have like extra value compared to the other 49. But then I saw that the 23rd card in that, whatever you call them, that stack of 50 is worth more because that's his jersey number. Like, why that seems totally random like i guess it's just another thing you can brag about like oh i have the lebron moment and it's his jersey number but it just seems totally like arbitrary to me yeah i i think so like if you i think people just want to try and give some value to specifics like if you have one to 50 like someone's going to set them apart it's like really the first one to be made is kind of the first one but it's like if you think about it this they're all generated like instantaneously after each other it's like it's not really that much before him, but it's just like it's right. the number one. I think it's just something else that um, collectors would like. And I think anything that they can associate back to the player, they think adds some value to it. And again, I will say this isn't inherent to just Top Shot in, yeah. the, in the collectible card space to getting a card that's the same jersey number of an NBA player or an MLB player. That holds a lot more value to it than just a, a regular old you know, random number card too. Okay. Yeah. And to, to the point about why would I want it if it's not physical, I think like for me, like I bought a pack, I saw all the moments I had and like saw the players' names and I was like, oh, cool. I have a D'Angelo Russell. I have a, I have a Zion, whatever, you know, it's like, it feels like they're part of my collection. They're on my team or whatever. It's like, especially with everyone having their phones all the time, you know, you can just pull up NBA top shot on your phone. So like you said, you could just show your collection to anyone at any time, perhaps even more easily than you could show them your player card collection. Right. So with everything we're, being we're, on your phone now and it being in your pocket, it's, it still feels like it's a part of your collection. Right. It's still kind of cool. You know, we're in and moving even more towards a digital world where everything essentially is going to be digitized at some point. And to be able to carry something worth value, maybe not to someone else, but to you and to be able to show someone something that, you know, you've invested your time and money in that easily instead of saying, hey, why don't you come over to my house or look at these pictures I have on my phone of some physical things that I own. I could show you the actual non-tangible, but, you know, actual thing right here in person the same way as if I we were over there and I had to show it to you, you know? 
Right. I'm going to start a, uh, a notes page on my phone with a bunch of YouTube links for my, the moments that I would like to have. And I'll just show those to people. Um, question <laughs> for, for Matt. So tell me a bit about like what moments end up becoming things that you can buy, right? There's thousands of plays that happen in the NBA, um, you know, all the time. So how did, what is this, the pattern seem to be on what plays end up becoming moments? Do you think that they'll move to, to historical moments from the past? And what's the likelihood that my Jason Tatum behind the back pass ever joins the top shot repertoire? Uh, the play that was featured on a NBA top shot, most wanted post from the NFT show. Exactly. <laughs> um, right. That's going to be kind of interesting for me to answer because I'm not the biggest NBA fan, but it, it's, I think it's clear that there's a lot of people working for top shot that really know the NBA. Um, so th- I think there are some historical moments. Like I pulled Kawhi's 10,000th point. Um, so obviously like they knew enough, it was just kind of an average bucket he made, but it's like, yeah, that's a big moment in NBA history. Um, let's immortalize that. Let's make a moment out of it. Um, I don't know if there's any trends for like, uh, I assume they have a good amount of like buzzer beaters in there, but I, I can't list off a, um, like a list of buzzer beaters. Um, Kyle, maybe you know, the NBA more knows about some of the plays like or moments you've went after. Yeah. I mean, just not even necessarily talking specific plays, right. NBA top shot uh, has an agreement with the organization of the NBA. So the NBA owns, all of the clips that are generated from a game, right? But what they do then is they essentially take specific clips or specific, you know, plays from these games and give them to Top Shot. And then once Top Shot has those, those are the clips or the the plays that they could choose from to create these moments. So it's not like Top Shot has 100% free reign to just take anything that happens in the NBA and make it something the NBA has to give it to them. And then they have a list of things that they could choose from to create these moments. But it is up to Top Shot to say, uh, you have the wherewithal to be like, how prominent or is this moment to say, okay, should we have 15,000 plus of these made? Or do we make this something that's extremely rare and only have, you know, 500 of them made? Um, right. And then in terms of like, um, historical plays they've already done a series that they called like run it back where it's um so they partner also with the nba players a union so anyone essentially that is out of the nba that's still part of the players union has given permission they will at some point have the opportunity to create moments from those players so one of the ones that they've done that they did is a current player Giannis. But obviously, this is a brand new thing. However, they were able to mint the, the first points that he scored in the NBA. Upcoming, coming up soon within the next couple of months, they have they're going to be having uh, some plays from Shaq. Um, who else was there? I think Allen Iverson and a couple other like NBA greats. So, you know, it's yeah. it's more broad than just current NBA, but it all depends on the buy-in essentially of inactive players in the players union yeah and that's what's great about this is like with regular sports cards whatever league it is they're not getting any money from it right so you sell you sell a michael jordan sports card and the nba is seeing nothing from that whereas they are they're owning this nba top shot and they're getting money from it so it's mutually beneficial to the players the nba to everyone which is why 
I think people are excited about it. You see players tweeting about it. Um, and it is still in beta, you know? So like Kyle was saying, there's a lot of stuff coming where they're just trying to figure out the website right now and trying to make it not crash under how many people are interested in it. So um, speaking of the website, Seth, I, I might move on to just asking Matt about the machinations of it if you have nothing else. So Matt, can you just kind of describe to our listeners, okay, we've heard all this info about NBA Top Shot. Now I want to, I want to get in. I want to buy some packs. I want to buy some moments. How do I do that? First of all, I don't want you to make an account and be able to buy packs because then it increases my odds of getting a pack. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so it's really easy. I believe, um, as I'm saying this, you can create an account. Um, they were having some issues over the weekend and you couldn't, but hopefully when this is up, there's no issues creating accounts. So you just go to the website, um, you make an account. It takes you to this other website that's uh, called Dapper. It's like the behind the scenes. They manage all the money um, for Top Shot. It's legit. It's not... Um, it's not like a pop-up that came up uh, and it's really easy to make an account and then you give them a credit card number and you can upload money to your Dapper balance. Um, and uh, they take a little bit of a fee for uh, like a credit card fee. And then once you have money in your account, you can buy packs. Um, packs get released every once in a while. I don't think there's an official cadence to it yet. And the packs will have uh, some random moments and some of them have uh, specific, like you're, you're guaranteed like a one rare a moment or something, or you can just go straight to the marketplace with your money and start buying moments that you like. And really easy, anyone, actually. You could... Yeah, I was just going to say, if any one of our listeners is hesitant about the authenticity of Dapper, uh, podcast favorite and former finals MVP, Andrea Godala is an initial investor in Dapper. So that tells you all you need to know. <laughs> what are you going to say, Matt? Sorry, I caught you off about the marketplace. I was it's just saying it's really actually easy. really easy to get uh, to get it set up. It is really easy. I mean, I did it in five minutes and I'm pretty dumb. So if yeah, I can do it, we you helped you a little can. bit along the way. Yeah. <laughs> and again, to real quick, I guess, before we finish this whole segment on the top shot, there's, you know, Seth mentioned at one point, you know, what's the point if I can't do anything with it, I can't hold it. I can't do whatever NBA top shot uh, is in the process of creating yeah. Um, essentially like a, a game for these individual moments and such to add some additional utility to the moments and the players moments that you own. So like no one knows exactly how it's going to go, but if you want to think about it, like kind of like a fantasy game where you'll have, you can collect these different moments of your favorite players or whatever. And then your friends can have their own favorite players and you feel like a, a fantasy team with these players who knows how they're going to distribute attributes and stats and whatnot. But um, it adds some additional utility into just owning the moments to collect them and look at them. You actually have a use for them to be able to, you know, compete against friends and against a broader audience um, once that's once that's available. Yeah, so that's just a little overview of NFTs and specifically NBA Top Shot. I think you guys, our listeners out there, well, Matt's our main listener, so he already knows, but the rest of you. Uh, Matt, why don't you plug the NFT show and all of its social medias for our listeners? Everyone go check out the NFT show. Um, Instagram is currently our biggest uh, platform that we uh, socialize on, and we have a website, www.thenft. Jeez, I can't even plug my own website the nft show.com editing it up um periodical articles on there no set cadence yet hoping to get at least one good article 
um, out a week, hopefully provide some real value. And then Instagram just to have a little bit of fun and um, just try and make people alert with what's going on. Great. All right. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us, Matt. Well, thanks for having me guys. The goat. Thank you. The idiot out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was good. That was, that was good. Before he drops off. I, 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 I said, I think the cryptocurrency one was supposed to be a softball. And I honestly don't think I could answer that. All you had to say is cryptocurrency is fungible. Non-fungible tokens are non-fungible. <laughs> it's not fungible. No, that's good. Is that true? Wow. Yes, I didn't even realize that. It's true. I thought non-fungible meant like non-physical. No, it means like it, they can't be interchanged for each other. Like uh... one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. One LeBron NBA top shot moment does not equal one zion nba top shot moment for sure excellent now you know matt oh i know <laughs> all right we still got stuff to do so cool. matt, thank you that was guys. great that was fun that was fun fun see you guys peace okay bye all right let's just bang this out real quick 15 20 minutes around the nba you guys ready always yep okay Although the Celtics game has a minute and a half left, so I might be slightly distracted. That's all right. Well, you don't have to do too much in the first segment. It's about the Jazz. The second segment's about the Celtics, though. So do you want to move that to third? Yeah, move it to no, third. that's fine. I'll move it to third. We'll do point Honestly, nine second. I feel like we've been doing this for a long time, but it's only been an hour, and we've had at least – we didn't start directly at eight, and we've had at least like 10 to 15 minutes of just – Nothing. We started at like eight ten. I think we're doing good. Like if we keep this fifteen to twenty, we'll be right in an hour. So, all right, Seth, we'll move point Zion to second in case things get hairy in our game, okay? Because Kyle's going to handle most of the uh, the point Zion and shitting on the Jazz. So, okay. All right, here we go. <clears throat> all right, let's do a little segment we like to call around the NBA. I don't know if we like to call it that, and I just came up with it, and probably everyone does that as a segment. But <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> I've heard of worse segment titles. Thank you. Um, I want to start with the Utah Jazz because if you're doing any sort of podcast about anything, you have to talk about the Utah Jazz. It's in your contract. About anything? Yeah. I mean, you could be doing a podcast about the greatest uh, Pride and Prejudice fan fiction right, written, and you still have to talk <laughs> about the Utah Jazz. Well, um, we all know Mike Conley's fan fiction is top notch. So, yeah, exactly. So they are the best team in the NBA right now, record wise, uh, and by most metrics. But what really people are wondering is, do we see this team as a real contender for the finals? Do we see them beating either LA team in the playoffs in a seven game series and reaching the NBA finals? What do you guys think? Kyle, we'll start with you. And I know the answer is no. <laughs> As much as I want the answer to be yes, just because of how big of a fan I am of Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson and the fact that Joe Ingles doesn't look like he should be an NBA player, um, it's tough to say that they – I mean, obviously they have a chance, right? Anyone has a chance. They're the best team in the league currently in, in terms of um, record right now. But if you think about it, Come the playoffs, how often is it like that a team, no matter what matchup they have, does not have the best player on the floor win? Because that's essentially what the Jazz are going to be faced with come the playoffs. No matter who they match up with, I'm pretty sure in the West, 
the other team is almost always going to have the best player between both teams. And in that type of situation, I'd rather back the team that has the overall best player. Correct. And you know what? It's happened a few times in recent history. And one that keeps getting brought up is the, the 2014 Spurs. People are saying this team's kind of like the Spurs. They have this beautiful ball movement passing around the horn until they get the best shot, right? But what people fail to mention is that team, the 2014 Spurs, had three players with some of the best playoff pedigree we've seen, right? And Tony right. Parker, Tim Duncan, and Manu Ginobili. This Jazz team has done Not nothing to mention in the Kawhi. Not to mention a young Kawhi, right? Yeah. This Jazz team hasn't proven anything in the playoffs. I mean, they lost in the first round last year. So I'm hesitant to compare them to that team because they don't have that playoff performance proven for me, you know? Yeah, I think it, it the 14 Spurs provide somewhat of a blueprint for how Utah, what Utah can aspire to be. But I think it's disrespectful to the Spurs to compare this Utah team to that team. I mean, Sam, you and I years ago, like, ranked – you know, NBA finals teams of the last 20 years. And for me, that 2014 team is the best non-Warriors team since I've been watching the basketball. So I think Utah, you know, as impressive as they've been this season, and I do think it's for real. I don't think it's a fluke. Um, I think they have a lot to prove before we anoint them with that kind of honor. But, um, yeah, I, I think they're a fun team to watch. They have good ball movement. Um, like you said, and Kyle, I, I subscribe to that same kind of philosophy. Like most of the time, excuse me, most of the times the team with the best player is going to win, but in the playoffs at least. But uh, I think they have a – I probably give them a bit better odds to, to take down one of those top L.A. teams than you do. Um, I'm not worried about Gobert in the playoffs. I think he's a big asset for them. Um, and, yeah, I, it'll just be one of those things. Like, can can a, a team without any super-duper stars on the level of Jokic or Kawhi or LeBron, like, can they overcome that with depth and passing and shooting? Um, and I'm sure there'll be, you know, playoff games that just come down to how well does Utah shoot the ball from three? So yeah, it's hard to that's predict a big that. thing. And can I read you some stats? I'm going to read you some stats. I'll allow it. They're second in offensive rating, third in defensive rating, and they have a 9.29 point per game margin of victory. These are all, good? that's the profile of a finals team, right? I mean, it is right. But yet I hesitate to believe they are a finals team. And I think, I think I might honestly pick them against the Clippers if it comes up, just because I feel like intangibles wise, the jazz are so cohesive. And from what I saw in the bubble last year, granted it may have just been a bubble thing, but that really kind of worried me about the Clippers when it comes to playoff time. So I could consider maybe picking them against the Clippers, but I don't see me. I don't see myself picking them against the Lakers, especially when they've proven in the playoffs last year. What I love is this is essentially the biggest case for um, 
centers actually mattering and the type of centers that are rostered on teams actually mattering. Like if the Jazz had any type of center that was any type of mobile and could even shoot 34% from three-pointer from the three-point line, three-point line, that sounds right. Um, we wouldn't even be having this conversation on if they could compete, I don't think. Uh, I disagree completely. <laughs> I think we'd still have the conversation. It just would depend on what they've done in the playoffs, you know? I mean, like, for a team like this to make the finals, we've seen it with with the Spurs, like we said, and maybe, you know, you could say the Pistons back in 2004, but those were, like, teams that were elite and had made deep playoff runs before, you know? And despite whoever their center is, I just – I need to see it first before I believe that they can make a deep run in the playoffs. I mean, they literally just lost in their first round last year, you know, barely, but yeah. I mean, I don't think we'd be having this conversation if that were the case, because the jazz wouldn't be the best team in the West if they didn't have Gobert. So I mean, that's right. honestly impossible to say. Yeah. But I think Gobert makes a case that centers do matter because of how much of a big impact he makes towards winning for them and his rim protection and defense and the way that they structure the offense around his strengths and allow him to be that pick and roll screener who can catch around the rim and finish. But there's other Um, centers that could do that too. That could also guard, you know, anyone outside of a five and can step out to the three point line and take a three point shot that allows the offense to spread the ball even more and become even more, even harder to defend as a whole. But there Gobert, aren't any other centers in the league who are as good as Gobert defensively. So Gobert for Ben Simmons, straight up. Put Ben Simmons as the five. Who says no? Bam Adebayo is better, a better defender than Gobert is. I'll tell that to Gobert's multiple, you know. I don't care about the boomers who are voting for the – that are voting for the uh, Kyle. Can we get some young blood in the defensive player of the year voting, please? (laughs) (laughs) All right. We knew that was going to be the conversation. Let's move on. Yeah. Point Zion is something we can all agree on. And I look forward to this conversation. Per Kevin O'Connor and second spectrum in a video I was watching today, actually Zion is now running over 14 pick and rolls per game, which is up from around two in the beginning of the season. It was like a switch flipped at the end of January and Stan realized, Oh, actually we should put the ball in Zion's hands since nobody can stop him. That seems like a good idea. And it's working brilliantly. I mean, the man is absolutely going off as an easy 30 every game. It kind of segments everyone else into their right positions, right? Ingram as a secondary scorer can attack off of closeouts. Lonzo as the off ball guy on a half court. Who's been thriving in the role as well. Yeah. Which we talked about earlier in the year as what we wanted to see from him. JJ Redick has seemed much more dangerous with Zion having the ball in his hands. You know, either one can set a pick for each other and it's the defense doesn't know what to do because they have some, a bowling ball going towards the rim and an elite three point shooter. So, you know, ultimately they're still out of the playoff picture right now, but it has been exciting to see Zion with the ball in his hands and everything he can do. Right, Kyle? I mean, 100%. We talked about it just on our last podcast when we did the all-star selections. And, right, I was all about having Zion be a part of it because of... You convinced me. Thank you for that. Because of this, the point Zion movement. And honestly, you know, kudos to Stan Van Gundy for being able to um, uh, adjust his 
his uh, his coaching and his, um, you know, his team during the season, you know, obviously he came into it thinking Lonzo or Bledsoe should be the main main ball handlers. And that's kind of what we saw early on. But once you realize that the the how dangerous having Zion be the main ball handler, you know, and, and what he could do to I mean, watch any game. Zion has the ball at the top of the key. Anytime he makes a drive to the rim, there's at least two other defenders outside of the one that's on him that claps onto him. And it it just completely opens up the offense to have at least two players just have wide open shots if Zion chooses to pass. Otherwise, if he doesn't, he still bullies his way through two defenders and gets an easy layup at the rim. He doesn't make all of them. I will give him that. Here's one of the one of the interesting um you know, between the beginning of the season and now kind of what's changed just between. So since the beginning of the season and through January, Zion was only averaging a dribble and a half per touch, 24 points, 2.3 assists a game on 58% shooting. Since point Zion has taken over, he has twice as many dribbles per touch. So he's handling the ball, obviously a lot more stats tell us 27 points per game doubled his assist 4.6 assists per game and he's also increased his shooting he's at 65 percent shooting from the field <laughs> how do you stop that and coming out of duke like we knew his passing was great right and i was just kind of waiting to see it translate to the nba right and now we kind of have seen that in his new role now the question moving forward i think a lot of us have seth is you know this team this team isn't, isn't in playoff contention and why is that? And what different players might we need around Zion to maximize this potential? Do you have, do you have any that you have in mind or do you not like some of the fit that we have currently? Yeah. With the team, the way it is, it feels like they should be better than they are. Um, And it feels like they have the talent to have a better record. I think some of that. So some of the solution to that could just be, internally like Brandon Ingram needs to understand that he's not he's Batman on this team right he's he's not the best player of the team he shouldn't be the one taking the most shots all that kind of stuff um there's certain times even now after the increase in Zion's workload where they just go away from him for whole quarters and yes Kyle and I were looking at this the other day yeah yeah, so it's like that kind of stuff would obviously um, is something that they could they could change and, and improve on like right now without adding any new players. So often you hear like the solution to, you know, how to surround a star player to make the best team is like add shooters, right? So you can't, you can't have too many shooters on the team. Um, and yeah, it's just like Zion is this unstoppable force. He's already top 10, like most unguardable players in the NBA. Um, I think I'm still scarred from like the, you know, one game that I watched where I saw him like two times in a row, just let a player go right past him to get a defensive rebound instead of boxing out. But I think honestly, like clearly the the problem with New Orleans is not Zion. So 
we'll see if they're able to to make some of those adjustments um, with the team that they've currently constructed. There's been talks that maybe they'll trade JJ Redick. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the other question is Lonzo. Is he really the point guard for this team? I've never been a huge Lonzo fan, but he's a decent playmaker. He makes good passes. So that could work with Zion. Maybe having someone who's a, a better shooter than him would be a better fit at the point guard position. Someone who can get the ball to Zion in, in positions that'll make him succeed. But the thing about Zion is he'll basically succeed wherever you get him the ball. So I don't feel like that should matter that much. Um, but yeah, certainly teams are going to start doubling him more and more. So yeah, if you're going to kick out to players who can do something with it, that would be the best. Um, I feel like Lonzo though, like he was definitely, it seemed like in on the trade block early in the year. And now he's so good. I almost feel like they can't trade him. And like conceptually to me, if he, if this three point shooting is real, which I, that was one of my biggest things. Remember at the beginning of the season, when we said what we're looking for in this upcoming NBA season, my biggest thing was can Ingram and and Lonzo's three point shooting continue? Well, it has for Lonzo. I mean, he's shooting like 40% on a huge volume. And isn't that the perfect guy to have next to Zion? Because you don't want to, you don't want a point guard who needs the ball in their hand all the time. If you want it in Zion's, what you want is someone who hits him in transition and also spots up off the ball and successfully shoots threes for him. Right. So I'd almost keep him if I were them. I think what I would look at is the center position where we all kind of lamented the Steven Adams signing at the beginning of the year as just a better Derek favors. What does that really do for them long-term? Um, I'd like to see someone like miles Turner next to him. If they think Zion can't play the five for the whole game, at least, you know, in, as the next couple of seasons, when he gets his defense getting better, someone like miles would be a great fit in my eye. And we know he was available uh, before the season as just a, a sh- you know, what he is on Indiana right now. Would right? do the exact same thing in, in New Orleans. Exact same thing, elite rim protector and a great shooter. Isn't that exactly who you want to pair next to Zion, whose um, shortcomings include not being able to rim protect at this point in his career or shoot the three um, at a high volume? So I think that's the spot they all ultimately look at. But it's going to be interesting trying to fit a team around this this new fun toy that we have, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's a shame that they felt like they needed to bring in Steven Adams, who is essentially a zero offensively but they felt like, okay, we need someone who can play that defensive center role because it's not going to be Zion yet. So I think if, if Zion's able to improve that part of his game, protecting the rim a bit, um, guarding bigger guys, and most importantly, securing the rebound, then that position becomes less important. And, you know, at this point, <laughs> he was available in the – in the, you know, before the season started. But at this point, I think you'd have to pay a, a steep price to get Miles Turner. Um, yep. But yeah, someone someone in that mold who can shoot the ball a little bit, you know, and if Zion can can sure up that part of his game, that becomes less important with the, the rim protecting and rebounding. All right, let's quick hit two East teams to round out our around the NBA patent pending. Um, Seth, we must discuss... This is another thing that's in the contract. If you have a podcast, you have to discuss the Baltons, the Bolton, the Baltimore Celtics. Just kidding. The Boston Celtics. And Thanks. the question must be asked, 
how panicked are we, right? This is a they are who we thought they were. That's all I'm going to say. Kyle has been <laughs> saying all year that he thinks they are a fake contender. Um, we actually have a bet internally on whether the Celtics or the Pacers will make it farther in the playoffs. The Pacers, it must be set or out of the playoff picture right now. So neither of us are looking good there. But Seth, I, would, I must know as our resident Celtics fan, this team is hovering around five, 500, have not looked great since Marcus Smart has been out. How panicked are you? Well, right now I'm at like a one because we just beat the Clippers moments ago. Without Kawhi Leonard. You guys didn't have Kawhi Leonard playing for you? <laughs> yeah, we didn't, and we still beat him. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm – I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm like a four um, – this is out of a scale of what? One to four. <laughs> one to four. One to three. Uh, <laughs> so what What I'll say is we've had one game with our four best players all playing together, right? So from that standpoint, I think it's hard to evaluate our team. In addition to that, Marcus Smart is still out. Jason Tatum is still recovering from covid he's made it clear that that recovery process um, and the, the virus has impacted him still lingering effects um, with his conditioning and just feeling like more winded during games. And then it kind of comes and goes and you see that his efficiency has come and go as well. Um, so I think hopefully, um, and you can see Jason Tatum's efficiency has come and gone as well and certain games he just like can't buy a shot from the outside which is unlike him so I think if we can get this team to be firing on all cylinders where and and the other part was Kemba of course and he's been looking a lot better the last three or four games um so I still believe in the ceiling of this team and that the upside that we all thought they might have at the beginning of the season, like is still a possibility. That being said, I would absolutely love to see this team um, make a move still try to acquire someone with that trade exception. It's going to, I don't know how many people are really available. Um, but when you think about it, we really don't have very much playmaking on this team and all of our role players are just like three and D guys or rim runners so that's where he really missed Gordon Hayward. Um, he was probably our best playmaker last year when he was healthy. Getting smart back from the injury will help with that some. Um, but it's just like beyond those top four guys, Yeah, you know, everyone else is a role player who I think are still like playing their role decently well. Daniel Tice is shooting well from outside. Um Ojale has stepped up his like corner three game, but that's the thing. A contending team isn't relying on Shemi Ojale. They're like yeah. someone that you put in when you're already up 20. So, yeah. and, but it's like, you can't really expect him to do more than what he's doing. He's yeah. shooting like high thirties from three and playmaking right. for others is not his game. So it would be nice to add someone like that who can add more playmaking or just get buckets for themselves, like Nikola Vucevic. Um, Kings say that they're not going to trade Harrison Barnes, so that might be off the table. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, we so, knew we knew coming into the season this wasn't a deep team, right? Like you say, season and, at this point. And it's and when you lose Marcus Smart, it becomes obvious, which we knew it would. Yep. Um, where I kind of land on is if they can grab a four or five seed, I still think they're going to be in the the final four in the East, but I still think they're a notch below the Bucks, the Nets, and the and Philly, which I think we kind of knew going into the season. So I don't know if that much has changed for me. I guess. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, certainly there's nothing that I don't have an argument to say that the Celtics should be, you know, favored over the Nets or the Sixers. Which um, brings me to the last thing I want to talk about on around the NBA TM. Uh, and Kyle, you can jump in here to gloat about your book and Nets. They won, they won eight straight at one point. Now nine out of the last 10, most of these games without Kevin Durant, who is their best player should be mentioned. Are they your pro- prohibitive favorites in the East? Kyle, I assume they are. Hands down. I mean, I called them the number one seed before the season even started when I knew they were going to get James Harden. So, Yeah, but for me, it's kind of like, who else is even in that conversation? I may, Maybe is the more interesting question, right? Like, for Ooh. me, it's kind of like, is it Philly or the Nets? I don't it's know Nets if I even believe in the Bucks. That's, it. It's, that's right? it. It's the Nets or it's Philly. Yeah, I kind of think that too. Any sleeper team we should be thinking about? No, I don't think either of them really. Uh, it's I don't think like the Bucks could outduel at this point. I don't think that they either of them could outduel Philly or the Nets in a seven game series. Yeah, and I think that would be what a matchup, right? Philly and Nets. Because at that, that point, be you'd have matchup. to you'd have to rely on on. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday multiple nights in a row to get something done. You're not relying on Giannis to get something done if you want yeah. to win a seven-game series against Nets or Philly. In crunch time, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I, I would put those two teams as the favorites. Um, like anything, I think it's possible that another team sneaks in there, you know, I think we're all kind of have a bad taste in our mouth from the way the Bucks have played in the playoffs in the past, but made some changes to their team. And, you know, I think it's certainly within the realm of possibility that they'll surprise us and play better than they have in the past. You know, we haven't mentioned the defending Eastern Conference champion, Miami Heat, who've also been struggling with injuries and COVID stuff, but are back right in the thick of it now. Um, yep. and there's just so much like a lot of people have been talking about this but like between the you know the 4 seed and the 12 seed there's very little separation right now so I think we need to wait a little bit until the season kind of plays out some more so that there's more separation and we can kind of see which teams when they're healthy look really good um, and like you, you mentioned Indiana they're another one of those teams. I feel like like Utah, they're like a poor man's Utah where they don't have any star star players, but they have a few all-star caliber players. They run a good offense, um, but they've had some injuries too. And this whole thing with Karis LeVert, right, with finding a tumor and I don't know what his, his prognosis going forward is going to be as far as basketball. It's kind of secondary right now. So you know, if a team like that could get everyone together and yeah, going, there's, you know, there's always a possibility for a dark horse, but certainly we have two 
contenders, two favorites right now. And well, that would be bad. Like, yeah, but that would be bad for our for our Pacers Celtics bets. That's we don't want to root for that. Um, sure. Kyle, any final gloats you'd like to put forth on the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, James Harden is who we thought he was. He always has been and always will be. I've never seen him happier. This is a big podcast for you. First, we say we kind of think Pete Carroll might be past his prime, and we talk about how the Nets are unstoppable. I mean, how are you feeling right now? I'm on the verge of saying if the Nets win the championship, I will get a James Harden tattoo on my ass. <laughs> you know what's funny? I was thinking in my head, <laughs> I was thinking in my head, like, you have to get a, a Nets tattoo on your ass, but I wasn't going to say it, and then you just said the same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> I might not even put it on my ass. It might go right on my forearm. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't already have a James Harden tattoo, to be honest. I think our listeners will be surprised by that as well. When was the last time you saw my ass? I think it was last Tuesday, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a really a rollicking podcast from NFL to NBA to NFT. All the all the uh, acronyms. So any final parting shots for our listeners, boys? Club's going up on Tuesday. But when you're listening to this, it'll be Friday. So clubs will be popping on Friday. 